This podcast is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. A big thank you goes out to Adnan Isel, owner of Isellers Estate Winery. You can visit them at 615 Concession 5 Road in Niagara-on-the-Lake or check out their website at icellers.ca. Find out how you can support us like Adnan by visiting patreon.com slash twoguystalkingwine. You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre. How are you? Know what I'm doing right now? Uh, you're re-inventorying your wine cellar and restocking because you don't like it when it gets below 2,000. It kind of bothers me. It does. Yes. Uh, I'm looking at a bottle of 2016 Tignan Yellow. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How's that treating you? It's going in the cellar. It's too young to drink now. Uh, if I were you, though, I'd be drinking it right now. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, so we are about to kick off part three of our uh, three-part breakdown of Thomas Bachelder's uh, spring release, Violette, uh, which you can check out at bachelderniagara.com. And it was... Uh, I know that you were thrilled by Chardonnay, and I was thrilled by Gamay, and... Thomas is thrilled by Pinot. Well, and that's so, the thing is we've been saying all along that I was thrilled by Chardonnay, but I'll be perfectly honest. Um, you know, I've been on this just Pinot adventure, just trying to learn more about it. Um, but yeah, I, I was really looking forward to tasting through these Pinots with with Thomas. And there was, it was crazy. I think out of all the wines that we've drank, drank with Thomas, these were the ones that showed the most different across the board. What I also thought was that you know, when it comes to Chardonnay, you come at it from, and I hate to say this to you, and you're going to be mad at me, but you come at it from, it's Chardonnay, I'm going to love it. And I probably come at Gamay the same way. Uh, well, not, at least you said that. Uh, not, not as wearing it on my sleeve as you do, but I really love great Gamay. And I'm always, any Ontario winery willing to make a Gamay is always, you know, starting at a higher mark for me than uh, any other grape because I'm like, oh, I really want this to be good. And and you have marks to lose when it's bad, but you'll stay where you are. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. But I, sort I, of. You're I, just, like I mean, we're just we're just kind of putting our personal biases on the table. And, and, and you're right. Yeah. Like, it's exciting to see Thomas working with Gamay. But I, I but P- Pino I, was the one I came to probably with the most open mind because I, I, I like Pino. Um, but I, I, it's not like it's a, it's a complete love of mine. And so I was very open to whatever he had to pour and whatever he had to say. And, and I completely understand that. Um, I mean, it, it, it is, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's the one big takeaway that I've had. You know what? Let's roll the tape and then I'll talk about my takeaway because I did learn something about Pinot with the tasting from Thomas that I didn't mention in our interview. So here's the what? tape. You learned something? No, I'm not crying. I'm not crying. Okay, so, uh, okay, let's do the introduction and let's go. My and here we go. That's, this is, this is the one I think Thomas has been waiting for, Andre. Uh, oh, I've been waiting the for it too. I wanted the Gamay and I'm sure Thomas was just jonesing for Pinot. So now, here we go. Thomas Batchelder, Pinot Noir. Oh, yes. I'm so happy to be here. And, uh, uh, somebody asked me the other day, really... What is it that moves you? And uh, I say the, Bur- the Burgundian grape varieties. And I said, and they said, but what, what is, what, you know, what is defining your time here in your career? And I said, 
if you really want to know, it was always Pinot Noir. That's what I went to school for. And I had an epiphany over there that has never left me. And then when Mary and I had the idea to copy, but make it different, the, the International Pinot Noir celebration, it had to be different because, as you know, uh, Pinot Noir 30 years ago when they started it was not ubiquitous. It was like six families from Oregon who started it. And, and, and 30 years later, Chardonnay is ubiquitous. So there's different needs out of the I4C, but it, it came out of the, the idea of little, you know, the idea for the I4C, the International Cool Climate Chardonnay Celebration, came out of Marion Mai's head as a reaction to the plethora of Chardonnay that's planted on this beautiful limestone bench and in the old vines in Niagara Lake. And the fact that a lot of people were dissing Chardonnay and that the IPNC, International Pinot Noir Celebration, had a lot going on. So I thought we could really do something. And as I've done that, you know, I realize that part of my role here in this earth is to help define Chardonnay terroirs. And that has become definitely a mission statement for us. But Pinot Noir had my heart uh, first. But just before we delve into Pinot Noir, what I'm having the most fun with right now is Gamay because we're just scratching the surface of what Niagara can do. So really, uh, I mean, I always drink a lot of Chardonnay, but I'm trying every Gamay that comes on the market to try to cut my teeth. So it's like the beginning of a new love. I'm three years in, but it's uh, it's always exciting, a new love. Thomas. Thomas. Mm-hmm. Let me just take us back to the beginning before we go through these specific wines. Um, I know that you learned winemaking in, in Burgundy, and then you set up shop in Oregon, if I'm getting my timeline correct, and then you ended up in Niagara. Which which region, and Edward, where did you fall in love with Pinot? What, what, what was it that made you fall in love with Pinot? I realized looking back at my high school graduation, you know that Montréal and Quebec, people graduate earlier because it only goes to 11, grade 11. High school only goes to grade 11 in Quebec. So when I graduated, I was two years shy of being legal anywhere, but they poured, the parents poured, you know, uh, Bichot Pinot Noir Bourgogne at one of the after parties, or was it a pre-party? I can't remember. It was a few days ago. Anyway, there I am, 16 years old, and they go, I like that wine. And years later, I realized, um, I forget which great writer, maybe it was Hugh Johnson, said, Pinot Noir has a direct appeal to the palate. And what I've taken that to mean is it has a direct appeal to newbies who don't want anything too heavy and it, you know, and anything too bruising. But it has an, an immense appeal to connoisseurs when they realize, or wine lovers, that it it shows its sense of place as much or more than any other grape. So really, it was back then in high school, and I drank Pinot Noir after that. And I said, as a young budding wine journalist, I said, you know, but what if, like, what if I just get too into all the wines of the world and none, I don't choose any of them, so how am I going to become a winemaker? Because I knew I wanted to go that way, and I was a home winemaker. Well, the answer was Pinot Noir chose me, so off I went. Blithely, I went off to, uh, to to France, where I got accepted into the Université de Bourgogne, which is at Dijon, in a in a DT uh, 
and then and I can't even say it. I don't remember what it was because I'll, I'll say it in different ways. Have so you had a drink it. today, Thomas? No, I'm I'm dying for one. That that that. Okay, well, okay. Here's what I here's what I always find. Maybe, just maybe, you should pour yourself something while I'm talking here because I'm giving you time to fill your glass because Andre's kind of a dick sometimes. He'll ask you a long-winded question to stop you from drinking. I wanted so, to know the answer to that question. Whatever. Okay. You, I have, you, you, when, we, when we started, Thomas said, I'm really thirsty, and then you ask him a long-winded question. So, Thomas, fill your glass, and I will bet you after a first a, a few sips, you'll be able to just roll those words right off your tongue. You'll be you'll be shocked at, at how you'll be like, how did I even not be able to get those? So I'm going to insist right. that right. you, you at least bad. take a sip of something before we go on. Okay, here's what it is. It was called the Diplôme Technique d'Analogie, and why See? I have tr- the technical diploma of analogy and why I have trouble remembering that, not just saying it, I have trouble remembering it because I never did it. I got to my stage or my co-op with uh, Domaine Chenu in uh, Domaine de la Créa in Bligny-les-Bones and uh, the maître de stage, who was a maîtresse de stage, uh, who was Cécile Chenu, she said, uh, you are not doing that. I go, well, yes, I am. As soon as I finish vinifying, I'm going to go start school in Dijon. And she said, no, you're not. You're going to the CF Pepa A de Bonne, the Centre de Formation Professionnelle pour Adultes. And I'm like, well, what's that program for? She goes, do you really want to go to Dijon and learn about analogy when you could be in the heart of bone, in the heart of the vines, getting a viticulture and an analogy degree where you do everything? And I said, Oh, I guess I better change. So I went in and did an interview at at uh, at the Ecole in Bonn, and we were doing this long interview, lasts about two hours because I do tend to go on. Yeah. And at the end, I said, uh, "Well, <laughs> what?" Uh, and Mary, my wife Mary, was sitting there with me, young married, and she goes, uh, "The lady said, uh, okay, well," and I said, "Well, do I call you back?" And she goes, "No, you're in." <laughs> and I go, uh, "Okay, well, what's the fees?" And she goes, well, we've never had anybody come from overseas before, so I don't know how to charge you. Let me think on it. And uh, uh, when, it, when, it, when it came to the end of it, all I had to do was give English lessons to Burgundians who wanted to learn English. And so Louisa Ponzi also helped us give those English lessons. And she was one of the she was the second generation of one of the first five pioneer families of Oregon, Ponzi. Erath, uh, Let under Irie, Adelsheim, and Amity. You could add Bethel Heights to that and Sokol Blosser. But she was, when I went to Oregon in 93, right after wine school in France, and it broke my heart because I just wanted to stay in France. Uh, but we went there, and Louisa said, you are coming to Oregon. You're schooled in the old world. You're from Quebec. You're coming to Oregon. And I really got Oregon. I loved it. I was hurting for France. It was like I'd, I'd left my mistress in France who was, you know, Burgundy, and uh, but I fell in love with Oregon and the Western, the intensity of the Western sunset and the great laid-back people. And when I went back to Burgundy from there to get a winemaker's job at Chateau Genot Boulanger in Merceau, I um, I uh, I asked him why he'd hire a Canadian winemaker who was schooled in Bone and. Uh, 
he went on to run Chateau de Jacques. Uh, that was Guillaume de Castelnau. But he said to me, well, Thomas, of course I hired you because you had Oregon experience. And I'm going to go knock me over with a feather. So I got a great job in Burgundy because he wanted somebody who thought outside the box. And, and that's been my career ever since, because after that, I went to Lemelson, which was a startup very much like Le Clos Jordan, uh, with a big, beautiful gravity building. Uh, and then, of course, came here for Le Clos Jordan. But I mean, that was a decisive moment when Cécile Chenoux, who later uh, married uh, Bernard Rapolt, now of Ramoisane, uh, who you all know, and uh, and who you should visit when you go over there. He works with Pierre-Antoine Rovani now. Those two are together thick as thieves on Ramoisane, but I digress. And uh, she married him and divorced him, and they have a kid together. But Cécile changed my life when she said, you are going to school in Bone. So instead of being in an ivory tower, I was right amongst the vignerons. And the guy who had helped me get over there said, and here's the thing. I know your French is excellent. I know your English is excellent. Do not hang out with the English expats in Bone. And I'm like, why not? There's this cool bar called Pickwick's. He goes, you need to get in with the vignerons, okay? Just live like a Burgundian. And I did, and I've never regretted. I got into the inside of, of Burgundian um, country life. Uh, of course, I could live there 100 years, and I'd still be Le Canadien. If they really like you, they may call you Le Thomas. Uh, you know, the Thomas, uh, uh, because that's the way they call people. And so um, that was my start in Burgundy. And, of course, I couldn't believe the Pinot Noirs over there. But once I discovered Chassin Montrachet, and once I discovered Pulny Montrachet, Saint-Aubin, Murceau Blagny, the high elevations of Bone Blanc, Pernand Vergelès, of course, in Seven Day Bone, there was no going back. I loved white wine, uh, and I loved uh, the great Chardonnays. And Andre, I know you've been over there recently, and I got to tell you, it's the Mecca. It's you, you got to strap somebody to a chair and drive them over there if they're an ABC or anything but Chardonnay, and they will come away baptized and loving it. Or even well, even even if you're not uh, like if you're still a skeptic of the quality of Ontario wine, you're someone who thinks that that Burgundy is at at the peak. But like the quality of the wines that are coming out of Ontario, like we are so on the right track, and a trip to Burgundy is all you need to do to be able to see it anyways michael you go ask ask your question just just listen first of all just listening to thomas is like um uh being on uh the jerry springer show because not only does he he give you some story but he'll also give you the backstory of who's dating who and and who's <laughs> you know um who's who's married to who and who's got kids and who doesn't have kids and why they're so I'm, I'm not going to ask why they're divorced, Thomas, because I'm sure there's a there's a, a, a story in there somewhere. But uh, we are we are starting off with a wine here. We uh, it's the Batchelder Le Village. Uh, I understand it's about thirty four bucks uh, and it's the 2017 vintage. Uh, and as we know, that vintage was quite the oddball miracle vintage uh, as it turned out. Uh, being a kind of a wet, dreary summer, but a, a lovely fall that just you know went on and on and on and and saved the vintage. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the Le Village uh, as your entry level Pinot? Well, you know, uh, Michael, you're so right to talk about vintage because it's only in doing that we can understand all four of these wines because they're seventeens. Um, also. The other thing is, I love repeating Peter Gamble's line, you can't love 
single vineyards without loving the vintage variation. So I am going to try to explain that first of all, which is these wines, it was a big harvest. It got ripe despite all, you know, the, uh, it got ripe despite what we thought was going to happen all summer long. And it got rich. But because it was a long, cool season, there's tons of minerality packed into these wines. They're very Burgundian. They're not as fleshy as our wines are usual, but we know that if you have good acidity and lots of minerality, right, while the vine's trying to ripen, ripen, ripen the grape bunches, she's bringing up minerality. Like, she's trying to get water, but minerality comes up too, and flavor development happens as the skins get more ripe. So you've got all these things going on. So it's ultimately a leaner and elegant year, and those kind of years, when you age them, because, yeah, they don't have big alcohols, but they have the acidity and the dry extract or the stuff or the energy to maintain them in your cellar, they will round out. Now, any of these four wines here, I want to state that right away for non-Pinot lovers who may be listening. If you take any of these four wines and you pop the cork and you don't decant them and you just drink them right away, you could say this is a medium-bodied red wine that's kind of forgettable. I understand that. So they do need age. And in, and if they don't get age, they need warming up in your glass, testing at the beginning and the end of the meal. So I would say that even myself would have a bit of trouble really understanding Le Village right now. And I would like to taste it again at the end once we're warmed up and the wines are warmed up. I would like to do that too. I think Michael and I, we actually consciously had a uh, conversation prior to this where I was just like, Michael, you got your wines at the right temperature? And he's just like, yep, they're in the cellar. So everything is at the proper temperature today. Yeah, everything's at uh, basically cellar temperature is, is where we went. So the Le Village is, is, a, is a blend of, of, of all your stuff, is it not? Anything that didn't make it into the single vineyard, if, if memory serves with all your other Le Village that you have uh, you've poured for us? That's right. With, the, with, with especially Gamay being the exception to that. Gamay is not going out there, you know, uh, to the restaurant community. So we can use everything in the Gamay that we don't use for the single vineyards. And as I said to, to you guys at other times, if not in these three shows, when you're on the when you're picking grapes, no matter what the grape is, and then you're fermenting them. It's easy to look at the vats that are single vineyards and say, "Ooh, this is good. I'm, mm, I'm going to give this a longer maceration, blah, blah, blah. But you have to look at your village or even your restaurant pour uh, vineyards that are never going to make it into a single vineyard. You've got to make sure that you have the right amount of everything to make everything work. So the example might be um, last week we were talking about Wismer Foxcroft Gamay. And how many barrels am I likely to keep of that? And how will the barrels that we pull out of that and put in to the village better the village, you know? And the village, now that we tasted the Wilmsley Naturiste together, you know that some of the, 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 the lightness of spirit of the village is because it's got some Wilms in there to cut through the beefier of Foxcroft, and it makes it more gulpable and lovely. And so, too... Uh, with the other villages, Chardonnay and Pinot, I must admit that there is a slight difference because we make 
something for the restaurant community in which which god knows i'm you know i'm crossing myself hoping those guys get back on their feet pretty soon here during coronavirus but i gotta say those restaurant cuvées are only parfum is pinot and minerality is chardot we don't do a gamay yet because we're too new in gamay so we had to make the village of pinot and chardonnay something really special so the village and Chardonnay is only Wilms, Wismer Foxcroft, and Wismer Wingfield, and uh, in or sometimes Saunders. And in the Pinot, this village is exactly the next three bottles you're going to taste. So when we're declassifying uh, Lowry, Wismer Park, and Saunders, we're thinking hard about what this is going to taste like. And it's very why we have to taste it again. It's, it's very possible that this is the favorite wine uh, from one of you, because just the what does Wismer Park taste like with Lowry? Aside from, you know, uh, blending in our glasses, I've never done that before, but it essentially happens with uh, Village. That's the short answer. And I don't know about you, Michael, but like my first impression, I, 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 I'm really looking forward to revisiting it because my first impression of the wine was that the, like the tannin and the earthiness was still really front and center. And for... Uh, and I use air quotes, an entry-level wine, uh, you know, it's still, it still needs a bit of time. I, I really enjoyed this, this wine. It, 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 it wasn't the tannins that hit me first. It was the, uh, it was the juiciness. And I, and I really liked that juiciness, the cranberry, the rhubarb, the sour cherry. Uh, but there was also a tartness and, and good acidity that, that got me here. Uh, I just kept sipping over and over again. I kept getting different flavors. Like yep. I, I got some, a little bit of whetstone. I got a little bit of floral. Uh, I, it's just, and it, it's really light in color, but you know what? That's, that's just Pinot, right? But I mean, I, I got a juiciness to this wine uh, that I, I thought was, as Thomas mentioned, uh, gulpable. This, this one I could have just, uh, I probably could forego the glass and just drink it out of the bottle. As you've been uh, known to is, do from that time is to gauche. time. As yeah. they say, and since when has that uh, ever I, stopped you? I decided it. to be what? Since when no. has it ever stopped you, Michael? No, I decided to be what this time and not so gauche. All right. Okay. So the um, well, the next model we... is. Oh, oh, sorry, go ahead, Thomas. Andre, just before you go, I want to say like Stratus. I mean, you know, I love Stratus. Stratus taught me. No, Stratus has taught all of us when they put out a red blend and a white blend. Will you stop trying to see if that's Gewurz plus Chardonnay? We are trying to do, I'm Stratus talking, whoever that is, Mr. Stratus. Uh, we are trying to do a blend of all the grapes off this vineyard. So it's a terroir wine that best reflect this vintage. And so we can make our plush yet ageable red and we can make our scented yet ageable white. And and I really I buy that coming from them because I know they do everything with the greatest intent. And and and. So I don't want the village to be looked at as to how much of it is park and how much of it is Lowry. But I would have to say, Michael, you said um, you said that chalky mineral finish. That's for sure is 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 Lowry. And and then, Andre, you said there's the earthy part. That's for sure. The wildness, almost ironiness of, of Wismer Park we're about to see. But, you know, don't look at the little man behind the screen in The Wizard of Oz. Just take this wine and describe it the way you did. And I'm not talking to you two. I'm saying to the people who may be listening, don't try to guess how much of what is. It, it wrecks the fact of, um, of of just being with this wine, you know? 
So I, I understand now that we're going to, to move on to the Saunders. Yes. And yeah. this, this is my low self-esteem moment. I really like this wine, but I got to admit it's, it's only fifth leaf and Anne-Marie Saunders and her family, Leslie, and of course, Warren, who's now, I think, 99 years old. Some of my favorite people in the world up there on the Beamsville bench, right across from Rosewood and Angel's Gate. And they are contiguous with, uh, uh, they are contiguous with 30 Bench. So that's the terroir. It's, it's some of Niagara's best terroir. And they said to me, Anne-Marie did Niagara College. And for her project, she came and talked to us about the nascent batch elder and what our business plan looks like. And we were already buying Chardonnay grapes from her. So this is like 2012 or something like that. Uh, and so she says, um, well, uh, Thomas, during this whole, inf if I planted Pinot Noir, you know, I've got like five acres down there. Would you buy it? I'm like, oh, yeah. Does the Pope in the woods? Was no, That's not the right expression. But he does. Don't tell everybody. That's the big secret of Christianity. <laughs> or Catholicism, anyway. The Pope does in the woods, and that's what makes it holy. Well, I I meant, yeah, is the bear Catholic? That's what I meant to say. Anyway, um, uh, when she planted them, of course, Saunders is all organic, and this is an organically grown and certified wine. Uh, the only reason my cellar is not certified is I can't find more organic grapes. So you have to certify the whole cellar. So for this is a two barrel lot and then Saunders White is a four barrel lot. So, I mean, it's just prohibitive to certify the whole cellar, but uh, for only one uh, one vineyard. But God, I'd love to someday. But the, the point is, though, that the implantation of vines with zero irrigation when you plant them in hotter years, uh, like whenever this is planted, like, yeah, 15. Uh, so you can have like dwarf vines for a while. And these were slow to come on. The grapes, there's like one or two bunches per cluster. Per There's one or two clusters. Let me start over. The grapes, there's like one or two clusters per plant, these young vines. So clearly the plants have not been overtaxed but the clusters are so small typically pinot noir weighs 110 115 in in years where there's rain at the end it might you know they might weigh 150 160 grams per cluster these are weighing like 85 so you have an incredible concentration but it's young vines so young vines don't have the root systems to bring up the stuff that we're going to see in wismer park so and and lowry of course so I knew this would be a lighter style. I knew it would be too young for me to say, what is the commonality between Saunders White, which is old vines, and Saunders Red, which is third leaf or fourth leaf? I can't remember. So I would love you guys to describe this, and maybe we'll have to come back to this after the two big dogs. So you said this was fifth leaf, actually. So uh, when you made this, is it... Is it fifth leaf in 2017 or is it fifth leaf now in, in 2020? I'm going to say it's fifth leaf in 2018. So that makes it fourth leaf. This was the second year it produced and the first year Anne-Marie just made some wine. So if it's fourth leaf in 17, it's planted back in 13 and got clipped by those two tough winters of 14 and 15. That's more what happened, more than drought. And then you said two barrels. Just very quickly, 
new barrels or old barrels, 50% new? What are your, what is your barrel regime on that one? Well, uh, actually I had three barrels. So, or was it four? I had three and a half barrels. So how you can have three and a half barrels is the moment you get a barrel as at the press that's half full, you go, by the way, I'm not contributing to the jar tonight. So notice I didn't swear. So uh, I already uh, got, got one. <laughs> uh, you go dill and you fill it up with something else. So the moment you fill a half a barrel of Saunders, because you can't have it on Ullage, up with, let's say, Wismer Park, because you have a little extra of Wismer Park, then you know that that barrel is going to village. Mm-hmm. If you follow me, it can't be a single vineyard anymore. So with that bit of nomenclature out of the way, so we were left with two barrels, both of which were two years old. And my one decision was put them out or not. And I thought, this went from such a dark blueberry tasting beast to so light uh, and, and, and pretty that I, I thought that was more to do with the young vines not having the staying power. That said, this was bottled last, uh, last July and it hasn't moved since. So maybe it does have staying power. I'd rather hear from you guys on this because this is my low self-esteem moment of the show. I'd like to hear where this one's going, guys. Well- well, first of all, let me lower your self-esteem a little bit. You've already contributed to the swear jar with your Pope comment. But anyway, uh, Andre, I'm going to let you start with this one, and unless you insist that I have a, I've got half a page of notes on this wine so far. So I hate that we got, we're given the heads up that this is Young Vines, because as far as I'm concerned, that's irrelevant. Um, wow. And, it does have more stuff. And um, I'm looking forward to tasting the next two, because the concentration of flavor is quite intense. Uh, I opened these wines and smelled them. like They've been sitting outside all day, so they were sitting at about 10 degrees Celsius, and now that they're starting to warm up to cellar temperature, like 18 Celsius, um, I'm I'm with Michael. I'm getting to the point where I have a a half page of notes. I love this style of of Pinot, though. I love that it's from the the Beamsville bench. Um, You know, there's no sign of earthiness at all to this. Uh, It's very fruit-driven, a nice floral note layering over it. I think I understand where Michael was coming from when he was asking about barrels because there is a good hit of vanilla on the middle, but it's not overwhelming. It's really well integrated. Like this is, this is truly well balanced, well made wine. And uh, given the fact that the tannin's already soft, like I don't know what the aging potential on this would be, but I wouldn't feel guilty opening a thirty eight dollar bottle in the first five years of life, and I don't think this will die in five years. I, Andre, I think uh, I think you're pretty good on seven years. I wouldn't go much further than that, uh, just because I, I'd be a little worried. Uh, but that being said, I really, really also loved this wine. I loved the the violet notes. I loved the spice. I liked the white pepper. I liked the deep cherry right from the get go. It was something that I picked up, and I just I was sipping on it, and I'm like, this has got some great cherry notes. But then uh, in swept, and I don't even know if it's if it really is a fruit of any sort, but like a black cranberry, like there's a cranberry tartness, but it's not like a red or a no, white my, my cranberry. Note, my note it's was like, a, like it's got like, a dark note to it. It was like cranberry with like cherry juice, and I'm not talking like you know fake cherry juice or maraschino cherry juice. It's just like you know when you bite into that perfect ripe Niagara cherry when they're when they're right in season, but like. That that cranberry note just takes the tartness up a notch, and it's just really satisfying. 
Now, I don't know if uh, if you've ever been, but uh, Thomas lives in Niagara, so there's a place called Cherry Lane, and they actually oh, sell yeah. uh, concentrated cherry juice. And now that I think about it, maybe that's where I'm getting it from, that deep cherry with that black cranberry. So you get that real hit of, you know, boom, cherry, and then you get that real tartness of that fresh uh, cherry concentrated cherry juice and it's just there's it you're, you mentioned an intensity there's a little bit of a smokiness to it i didn't pick it up as vanilla i picked it up more as as uh, as smoky but i really got a long crayon strawberry finish well and i found that uh, the floral notes were what, what poked through on the finish the floral notes were really you know like when you're when you're sitting next to a bouquet and you're not jamming your face right into it like nice and subtle just like oh yeah Although I did, I did pick up a little bit of earthy, a tiny bit of minerality, not a lot. I just think it's Pinot on its own. Oh, but that's there what was, I that's there exactly was a bit, a bit of earthiness <laughs> to it, but nothing to get in the way of that really high concentrated and intense fruit. Since when do we ever agree this much on a on a tasting note? I guess I got to mark this date on the calendar. I, I I don't know, Thomas. I don't know why you were hanging your head. This uh, this is an absolute beauty. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely. it's an absolutely gorgeous oh, bottle so of uh, of of Pinot. Well, what it was not was, you know, the person, and I have a daughter like this who I dearly love, who says, I'm going to flunk this exam. <laughs> I like how you have to class- clarify study. that. And then they, and they, I know, and then they ace the exam. We all remember kids at school who said, oh, you go, oh, I don't know if I studied enough. And they go, me too. And then they get 95 and you get 70. I hate those people. I hate I it when that. they do I that. I that girl at one point. Uh, yeah, and, and I, well, you know, well, she's like, oh, I failed. What I, like the only thing I could do to telegraph that I thought that this is a great terroir, but the vines aren't there yet. The only thing I could do was lower the price by eight bucks or seven bucks, whatever I did. But I want to answer two of your things. Did you notice um, when you go back to edit this, Andre, note that I did not speak one word while you guys were talking except to laugh once because <laughs> we are like monks, you know, hidden in the cellars trying to figure out terroir. And when you guys talk, whether it's in front of a barrel or in front of uh, something that has six months of bottle age like this, we learn lots. And I have to admit that I tasted it a little different tonight, but I love the way you guys struggled with what I know the answer for. And you described it beautifully. Andre, your description was good. But since Michael's was weirder, let's go with that one, which is it's like a blueberry a dark there's a dark fruit element plus cranberry do do black cranberries exist well they do in saunders and and i think the reason is it's it's a young vine thing it should have simple forward fruit it's developing in bottle i agree it's no longer simple and i discover that tonight with you so that's such a, a big moment for me but the reason is because if you've ever seen the high bush blueberries and the low bush ones, which are called, you know, Lac Saint-Jean, but they also are grown in Ontario and in Maine and Vermont and stuff. There's lots of low bush struggling blueberries that have so many anthocyanins and so much flavor compared to how much actual pulp is in those blueberries. Well, that's what you've got. You've got something that's young vines and should taste like cranberries with the concentration of a big, low-yield Oregon wine and together you get black cranberry and you know now there's going to be people out there when they hear this uh, there's going to be people at the Vineland or Guelph research station trying to cross, cross black and red cranberries to come up with a new fruit well as long as they're not taking Clorox tablets we're okay they could call them but <laughs> berries maybe 
Wow, that was exciting. So maybe we need to taste that. Uh, you guys can decide. Like, do we taste that again after the two big guns? Or do we taste, in what order do we go, village or that? You can decide that later. But I, I need to learn more, so we got to do this again. And What, what, I, what I was... Um... Was, was reminded of, especially because you were talking about uh, young vines, uh, was the Leaning Post uh, Senchuk Vineyard. Um, that's his vineyard that he's he's growing right up there. And I remember tasting his first commercial offering from the Senchuk Vineyard. Turns out they were like third leaf, not even, I don't think they were fourth leaf, but third leaf. And um, he put them all into 100% new oak. And it was just an outstanding bottle of wine. And when he told me that it was 100% new and third leaf, uh, it, it blew me away even more. So this this Saunders reminds me of that wine because it 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 shouldn't work, but it works better than it does, I yeah. guess, makes, if that makes sense. You, you think when you make it, I guess, this is not going to work at all. And, and when it does work as it does... It's just, it is really mind-blowing, uh, and I think the backstory of it makes it even better. Because I listen to you so much, I notice that, no, it's not a red-letter day. And by the way, a red-letter day comes from what? The holy days, the holidays on the calendar or the weekend were always in red. So that's why it's a red-letter day. And, Andre, you said it was a red-letter day or something like that because Michael and you had agreed. Uh, <laughs> you agreed in every segment. I said to you guys... Wilms tends to take on the oak a little more the way Merceau does as opposed to Chassagne or Pulny. And I see, you know, Wingfield as as more uh, on the Pulny or Chassagne side of things. And you go, who cares? We love Wilms yeah. to a man you did. And then the next show I said, I think that the 22% Fox is what really does it. And, and you said... Uh, no, it's the fifty-two percent. We can't forget it. And so you were in agreement. And I, I, you know, I don't know how long you guys have lived together, but you're starting to resemble each other. Our taste. The thing is, our tasting notes don't usually align all that much because we both have very different palates. So it's it's one of the things that works about Michael and and mine tasting is um, like Michael is a little bit more discriminate in what he tastes and even with what he eats like i still don't understand how a wine critic cannot like mushrooms but here we are um but our, our our flavors that we pull are slightly different which is what i find interesting about tasting with michael and, and tasting with people like you thomas as well is not all of us have a, a same favorite food on the planet we all taste things a little differently so when we can come to a consensus on what something tastes like to me i find that incredibly remarkable yeah, and that Michael, did you have anything to say before I jump in? No, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you uh, you guys continue on this one. This sounds interesting. Okay. Because, no, because for me, what's so important about these, of course it's nice to get what I think and what you guys think of our wines out to the world, but this is always, since the day I met you two as, you know, two guys talking wine, uh, it's, it's such an exchange going right down to the stump to chump. And by the way, I digress, but one of the reasons I'm sitting in my home cellar is like I wanted to torture by saying, I'm going to now stump you with this burgundy. And then you would say, but we don't have that. Oh, sorry, guys, but I won't do that. <laughs> but uh, so we have a word for that, Thomas. <laughs> one of the things that's so valuable about talking to you guys is winemakers can still be, I could describe wines like you guys, not as well, 
but I can because I had that early training. But when it's other people's wines, when it's my own, you know, you know, your your dog walks by the door or your cat walks by the door and somebody says, do you see the way your dog moves? That could be a show dog. And you're like, no, that's Shohei, my dog. And the, no, no, the way she holds herself. And, and that's what you guys bring to any wine we taste, whether it's one of mine or one of the wines we taste together. You just look at it and you try to describe it. And I, when I pet my dog, I'm scratching her ear because she's uh, itchy, not because she's a beautiful dog. And, and and that's what happens when you guys describe it. You help me define these things. I lean on sums and stuff to define them in the cellar and help me and, and try. Are we on the right track with this? Am I putting Saunders out before it has enough stuff? No, I think it's good. Everybody loved it. Everybody loved the Wilms Les Naturistes, even though it was super like Gamay. They thought it had a place, and I did too. It helps reaffirm things. But once we're in bottle, and once we get six months minimum of bottle age, then you can really start to pronounce what you guys are doing tonight. And I've learned tons about that, Saunders. The only thing I can give back to you about it is that cranberry thing is more like young vines. And the blueberry and darker fruit thing is more like sort of young vines artificially concentrated to taste like old vines by the super small yields. We're talking half a ton an acre, right? And so the, they had nothing on them. They had a little more in 19, and you're welcome to come to the back cave après la libération, when the Allies come to liberate us. Guys, come over and we'll taste the Saunders. It probably has a little more concentration in 19. But the main thing is, is like I said about Merceau and like I said about Wilms, uh, when you don't have quite the old vininess, you may be caught with the wine betraying how long it was in wood or how much wood was new a little more. It can't quite digest all the wood. So even though I was wise enough to do, you know, two two-year-old barrels, meaning they were third use, uh, I probably should have done a two-year-old and a four-year-old. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not art. It's not science. It's craftsmanship. And I went with what I thought would work. And I agree. There's that little vanilla or little smoky note that just says, it can't quite digest the wood, and maybe it will in bottle. So I, I'm assuming that the uh, the allies are like um, uh, smallpox and um, uh, MERS, things we uh, and the flu, things we actually have a vaccine for. Is that what uh, you're getting at? Those are the allies. No, I was getting at uh, when the allies liberated Paris. <laughs> no, no, no I, I I got that. I just was I was just making a vaccine oh, joke okay, because though, there are vaccines for those, nothing no, for. For what we're sitting so, through right now. So should we move I on know, to the next line? Your meaning too, but I had a different one. My meaning was just like whatever forces come to liberate us, come and drink in my cellar. That's all I said. Should we move on to the next wine, the uh, the Wismer Park uh, West Vineyard? Yes, and I would like to take not issue, but I want to go one more thing back to Gamay because I honestly thought today, I know we're going to have a blast tonight together, the three of us, but we had so much fun on the Gamay. And on the Chardonnay, but we were really discovering my new stuff with how can we have as much fun with Pinot? Well, I'm having as much fun with Pinot. However, you did say something. Why did you put the Wilms last? You should have moved it early, earlier in the tasting of Gamay. And the answer was because I think there's a little virus in the vines there and I think it can't get to full ripeness. 
That's good. It's edgy, has lots of flavor. They're 1983 vines, so there should be the stuff there. Well, listen, if you're 1983 vines and you've got the stuff, then you can go at the end and prove it to us why you're better than Wismer Foxcroft or Wismer Foxcroft 52% whole cluster. Well, people can still see that wine as itself, even though it's lighter styled. And, and I remind you that in the old days when it was younger, it used to be massive. But 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 there's virus in Niagara, and this happens to people, especially if if the rootstock you know can't can't resist or whatever. But I put it last to be provocative because if you put it first, and you are right that it would do better first, if you put it first, people go nice gamay. Let's get on to the serious stuff. So I will often put the lighter stuff or the stuff you have to think about last. And that is why we're having the big boy Wismer Park right now, because Wismer Park is a mouthful of iron and rust and wildness, but not bread, because I've tested it. Uh, and Lowry ap- after is a model of femininity and and calcaire and, and, and perfume. And it it has to stand up after Wismer Park. So and I would love if you guys say that I have to reverse these two for 2017, I'll be listening. Well, I I, I'm, I guess I'll start here. Um, I really have to say, Andre, I'm sure you've tasted uh, Wismer Park already. Yep. Uh, knowing that you have no self-control whatsoever. Yep. That's, um, that's that, what his wife uh, likes about him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after, coming off of the Saunders, uh, I found this one to be very uh, aggressive this one as far as, as this one Michael, goes but this one goes to 11 you right. see i'm i'm i disagree i think this one needs a load of time and i i think it's a well-made wine Wait, really but it's got spicy pepper dark fruit earthy tannins yeah man but there's that even tannin... a cedar note okay, to me man, but and, that and there's is a, already a bitterness so soft, that i'm not a hundred percent in love with, okay, and I do believe this wine needs time to develop. I think in about four hours, when I'm uh, finally asleep tonight, it'll probably start to open. You know, I, you, listen, listen. Um, okay, I'm revisiting it for the, the slight bitter note, but I found like the the tannin was already completely soft on this, and there's a great intensity, spice and fruit. Uh, you know, maybe slight earthy licorice note up the middle. But hang on, going back to this here. Can I jump in, Andre, while you're saying that? This makes me, I love hearing descriptions because I live alone in my head and with my palate for so long. And these wines as a series have been so tight. And uh, a caveat here, you got two wine writers talking, but can I just say for all the people out there who love their Cabernet Sauvignon, who love their beefy Syrahs, who love their Chiantis and Barolos, and anything made with Nebbiolo, this is pretty light we're tasting. But it's but it's great. A developed sense of place. Like, oh, there goes that's the, two. the swear that's, jar. That's, three that's, a two, that's a twofer. There's lots of tannin here. I think there's lots of bitterness. But I think there's some fruit just lying in wait in the background. And it will come out. You just need to give this wine two, three years in the cellar. Uh, you drink, uh, you drink the Saunders now. You wait for the Wismer Park. I agree with Michael completely. Um, when you said I bitter, I went Michael. back and retasted it, and it's it's like someone shattered the glass in front of me. Um, 
all I could feel on the on the back was the the bitter note. It's not it's not front and center. It's not overpowering. There's absolutely like this wine is is gorgeous, but I agree with Michael. Um, this is going to take like at least three years to open up, and the sweet spot's probably going to be what three to ten. You know, and we are not allowed to say this. So if if you want to cut this out, cut it out. But I. As I've said in other emissions, I do not like to trade on France. But for those of you who know France, which is you two, uh, this terroir, the red soils of Wismer Park, are a lot like what you get out of Gevry-Champertin. Maybe Nuit Saint-Georges, but it's wilder than Nuit Saint-Georges. So these are winemakers' wines. These are wines who, by that winemakers' wines, like what I mean is winemakers don't tend to like the fluffy stuff. They like to They like the stuff that that fights back the adolescent that's in its room with the headphones on that blossoms into a beautiful adult. (laughs) That's what winemakers like. And not only wines that need time because of their weight and tannin or whatever, no wines that are just, you sense that they're not giving it up tonight and you might as well just walk away and drink something else. And to that though, if you had to do this Tomorrow night at a dinner party, there's a simple recipe that all three of us has talked about before. Set it up with a wine of a similar age or even a little younger. And when you get to this one, don't have drunk too much of the first one. So you're not drunk, first of all. But have carafe this one at noon. Not because it has sediment, but to give it a chance to open up before the end of the dinner party. Again, après la libération, when dinner parties are legal again. Caveat. (laughs) You know what I've uh, I had, I had, I've said everything I have to say about the Wismer Park. I have actually moved on to the uh, Lowry, uh, Guys, and I, and I have to you. admit I am I am suddenly speechless uh, at the absolute beauty of this this wine. I really have a feeling I may have a love affair with this Lowry. Well. I bet Wes, so it's I'd not going to be with Wes. I'm going to tell you that right now. But it's <laughs> there's there's a love affair going on uh, with this wine because uh, because of its femininity. And you know, uh, when I came out of school in Burgundy in '93, before I went to Oregon, it was so easy to talk masculine and feminine. And then it got tough for a while, and I had you know. Women especially, but also men tell me I shouldn't do that anymore. But, I mean, in our days, we know that, as I've said to you before, that a ballet dancer can have more core strength than a linebacker. So nobody is saying by femininity that that a wine doesn't have strength and power, right? Uh, I'm a dog lover, so I know I can tell a female dog because she has a narrower, more fine snout, and the males have these big square snouts in most breeds and they're both beautiful in their own way but we've got to talk about wine with metaphors and similes because you can't describe wines only with a laundry list of of, of fruit descriptors which do count but you know in a dark year everything goes towards dark and in a red year everything goes towards red so we've got to find We've got to find that moment where we just put our hand down on our dog's head and we know it's our dog, even if our eyes were closed. We've got to be able to describe the wine. And Lowry, i got to tell you the privilege. You've got like five people in there. So Craig McDonald 
and Rob Power, and of course Yvonne at Creekside when they were all together. Now Craig uh, is in a slightly bigger and better place. Uh, I don't mean it's better than like Creekside. Kevin? He's gone on. <laughs> well, 30 Bench is one of the things he does along with Emma. But I mean, the point is, though, that they told me that Lowry was always the secret behind their Creekside Reserve, why they won so many awards with that wine. And at some point they had to exit. And I think the reason they exited, don't quote me, but when they developed what has now become Queenston Mile, they had a shite load. That doesn't count as a swear. They had a shite load of <laughs> Pinot there on the St. David's bench. And they probably planted it there because of Lowry. I never asked them that. So they love that section of the world. People forget that St. David's bench is part of the escarpment and that this is a bench wine. It just like Ravine is a bench wine and Chateau de Charme is a bench wine and Culinary is a bench wine. Culinary is right across the road from, from, from Queenston Miles. So this Lowry, when they exited, I got a call and I've been making it since 11. I mean, I was in Oregon at the time and Mary crushed it and stemmed it. And we had exactly two barrels out of it, just like Saunders today. However, this was planted in 84 those vines are old. Wes and Howie and Wilma, they baby them. Wes plucks off unripe berries or, or, or rotten berries so that he can keep the rest of the bunch. He really babies this vineyard. And these are only from the 84 rows. And these five rows were 1984 that were planted for Carl Kaiser back at Inniskillen. And you guys know that. And we get two of those rows. Uh... And then we get a few rows of 88, and that's this wine. In 93, the 93 barrels tend to go, but not always, into, and 93 is still old vines. Ilya gets those, and he does a great job with them, and, and so does, and we put it into our village, uh, mostly. And then Shauna up at Adamo, Adamo, and then Shauna up at Adamo, who used to work with us at the Clo is working with some slightly younger vines. So we're all as thick as these up there in Lowry, and we're glad that uh, the Lowry family, uh, also called Five Rose, is still selling us grapes. And it's fantastic. If you ever get a chance to go to, to Five Rose, because I know even amongst wine lovers, it's such a, a, a cult winery because West makes so little wine, and it sells out very quickly. But even if you get a chance to just go visit the visit the vineyard, uh, you'll often see Wes out there by himself, like you said, walking up and down the rows, uh, picking up rocks and, usually yeah. and taking a bite of them. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's but it's remarkable to see someone put that much love into uh, into their winemaking. I mean, that kind of sums up the really great producers in Niagara. Um, yeah, Michael, I, I finally caught up to you. This is wow. Um, I. I this wine is, has taken my my breath away, especially after, uh, you know, everyone going to AndreWineReview.ca, you can read up the stuff I was drinking during Star Trek Picard. I know I have been mentioning that a lot on the podcast, but it was my experiment through Burgundy, and this is as good as anything that I tasted during that entire series run. This is well, this is one of the best Pinots from Ontario I've ever had. Look, look this, the feminine, and again, we got to come back to... Um, you know, masculine versus feminine, I think here, and Pinot, I think really, uh, of, of any grape, really brings it home. That Wismer, Par the Wismer Park is just 
all masculine and beefy and and you know muscular and needs time you know the old saying that uh you know when a when a woman looks you up and down and decides that she's uh, you know is it something that she can uh, men are like grapes uh, you know you have stomp them and and press on them until they become something you can take home to mom uh whereas the uh the lowry is just all floral feminine white cranberry delicate spice floral perfume notes on the nose you know there's a sweet cherry fruit like a like cherry blossoms like my whole note here is just and right at the end it's just so pretty there's just hints of cranberry the acidity is good it's just it's like you know it's like looking at your first playboy and and falling in love <laughs> with the centerfold and going that's oh, Michael, it's what much, I want. come on. It's much deeper than that though because you're talking about playboy, you're talking about lust. This is something that you fall in love with and you want to spend time with and you want to take it home to meet your parents and you want to court it and you want to treat it with respect. You don't want to just ogle it up and down. You need to spend look, some look, time the, with the it. The first the first playboy centerfold I ever saw, her name was Candy and and that was the candy I wanted to take home from the store. This <laughs> this year is is the is the candy I, I could I could I could drink this all night and and I think, you know the the part that you're 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 gonna love about it is that it's gonna continue to deliver, and uh, I know that uh, Thomas had you know veiled sexual references early on when he was talking about you know taking her home is she gonna give it up blah blah blah. This one's giving it up, but she's giving it up slowly because I believe that over the course of an evening, this is going to continue to to be delicate on your palate and, and be the one that you're going to talk about not just that night, but it, you're going to talk about it with your friends for a few weeks in bars. It's going to be the one that you're <laughs> like, you know what? This Pinot's good, but you should have tried the one I had a week ago. She was awesome. <laughs> this, this is going to be interesting to transcribe exactly what we said into like a proper tasting note that's not going to get either one of us slapped um <laughs> i was thinking that my, uh, it's my double x tasting note <laughs> well the other yeah. thing the other thing that's really cool about this about this wine too is um like you talked about uh like just how feminine this is and i know you know Describing the days of describing Pinot as masculine and feminine are definitely coming to an end at some point. But um, I find the tannin still a little bit beefy, even though really well integrated and nice and soft in the back of your your palate. Like this is a, a ten year wine for sure. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I don't know if it is, if it is a, a ten year wine, and I, I don't know if I want to see it in ten years. I would like to I would like to to keep that femininity about this wine. Uh, instead of, you know, let's say I put this away 10 years and I open her up and she just, you know, she's got a funky kind of smell to her, uh, like she hasn't bathed in a while. I really don't know if uh, if if I want that. I think in 10 years it's still going to hold on to the fruit and that tannin's just going to, going to soften. And we're going to see, I don't know, I, I think right now we're at we're at the point where, you know, we're talking about age of kids. This is a, this is a teenager that's that's learned that it's 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 starting to really enjoy music. Maybe bought some ballet shoes, and I think like seven to ten years. This is going to be a beautiful prima ballerina. This, this is this is a teenager who's dressing like she's in her early twenties. 
No, Michael, that's not love. That's lust. <laughs> do I need to like? Oh my god! Like, do you not understand uh, you know, these the things? The reason I say some of this stuff is because I can see Thomas uh, because he has turned his video on. Uh, I'm and I'm watch and I'm watching and I'm I I think there's there's times where I'm just going for his reaction and, <laughs> and to watch his face uh, as we're saying some of this. Uh, I'm not sure whether he's appalled or he's uh, or he's holding in laughter. No, uh, it's both. One of the things I'm thinking of is well. Well, um, I'll tell you. Let me let me just say something, and you'll understand what I'm saying. Welcome back to the show. After Andre had to cut out a sizable amount of commentary from Michael Pincus on the femininity of the Lowry, and I do think that the Lowry will uh, last for a long time. It past vintages have been shown to do that while still retaining fruit. But with 17, which has a little less uh, body and lots of good minerality and uh, acidity, I have to wonder if Michael isn't right. Like, Andre is with me that this will just last and preserve its fruit. We're all three of us in agreement that for sure Wismer Park is going to last. In fact, we want it to evolve to have a little less density. But whether this will still be this model of perfection, this 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 very whole wine, and by that I mean it just comes from the vineyard, right? Um, will it, when Wismer Park uh, smooths out its rough lines, will this still be a complete wine, or will you say, boy, you know, I wish I drunk my last bottle sooner? And I think that remains to be seen, and I think we've just, uh, we've now had a new um, idea for a Stump the Chumps episode a few <laughs> years from now. Actually, we could do it with the 13s or something like that, but I would like to go back to Wismer Park, Dents. Oh, I, I, went, I did what you originally told us to do. I'm back on Le Village, and I, I've added an amendment to my tasting note, even though it's only been okay, open for about an hour. Okay, that's for Le Village, then. The, the Le Village will just need a bit of patience. Um, the yeah. obtuseness of it, like the little bit of... Uh, bitterness and, and tannin that I got right out of the bottle when it was a little bit colder has fallen right off and my original note had candied fruit in it the candied fruit's pushing a little bit through uh, I don't want to say candied fruit as much as it's like cherry pie filling without being too sweet I don't know I'm getting hungry Anya are you making cherry pie anytime soon you know what Andre I know you're uh, you're teasing your wife about making dessert because I know she can't um or hasn't ever when I've been there. But uh, I'm still finding a really lovely juiciness here. I still find the cranberry, the rhubarb, the sour cherry. Um, I'm, I'm sticking with my original note. It's still a really lovely village uh, pinot. Well, uh, where I really want to go back to is the Saunders and see if I'm, I'm still in love with that. Or which one do I want to take home to mom, the Lowry or the Saunders? Okay, well, listen, let's just finish with the village. Um, can you now see, we don't want to deconstruct the wine. We want the wine to work as a wine. But this concept of village comes from France, where if you're in a pomard village in Burgundy, when you have a village, so any, and this could be just, Andre, for when we talk again, it could be not for this, but when in Burgundy, when you have a village, whatever village you're living in, Chambon, Musigny, doesn't matter, Vougeot. Well, let's choose uh, Pernod Vergeles because that's where Philippe was. So in Pernod Vergeles, let's say you have five plots that give you two to six barrels. 
but you have a good American and Canadian importer. So you need to make a sizable amount uh, of village, even though the whole thing might be, you know, 400 cases. And when you're doing that, you realize that somewhere down the road that it, you could have two wines called Pernod Vergeles or two wines called Pomard, but they were slightly different makeup of the vineyards. And that's what Filar, Philippe, and that's what Philippe Delarge taught me, which is you can do different blends of the same wine and send them to different markets. I don't do that, but, but for sure, if you go to a supermarket in France and you see uh, a, a, a different label under a village than you saw an export, you can be very, very sure that the export is what he really or she really wants to do and that the less favored cuvee went to the supermarkets where they're gouging them on every centime. But that's a digression that doesn't have to be in this uh, thing right now. So I'm going to head to uh, Le Village and see what you guys are talking about. I just needed to reload my Coravan because I can't afford all these wines. <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it the thing that's difficult when you're making small batch wines? Like I know a little bit of it with my own my own company. That uh, it's tough when you need to pay your bills and to make sure you don't tap into too much of your supply. Right, and that's and that's what Coravan's good for. And uh, I'm opening these wines for you guys tonight because I wanted to be. I knew you're going to be there with tons of descriptors, and. Uh, you know, I could I, I could sit here with a glass of Chianti. It's a podcast and just listen to you. But I have lived a long time with these wines. I've opened new bottles for every one of these to try to see what you're seeing and try to come up with something half as intelligent as you were saying. And I don't want to dis, you know, deconstruct this into Wismer Park, Saunders and, and Lowry. But if you only look for that, you'll find those elements there. But it's better viewed as a whole because it is a wine. It is a wine. It's what was put into bottle. All right. So, so Andre, have you gone lunch. back to the uh, to the Saunders yet? I did go back to the Saunders. And, and it's, uh, it's, it's a very fine I, wine. I think for $38, it's it's a steal. I think I think that is a steal. And, um, you know, uh, Thomas, you should be holding your head up high on that Saunders uh, because as those vines age, uh, I think – uh, you're you're going to be very happy with with what's happening uh, in the bottle. Uh, I have now gone back and forth between the Saunders and the Lowry, and I am really struggling uh, because as as a wine writer, I'm always you know wanting wanting to compare and I want to uh, quantify these wines, uh, and I I think I'm leaning. And Andre, I know you're probably going to tell me I'm full of here. But I think I'm leaning slightly Saunders over Lowry. And you're just, wrong. You're wrong. Just it's, it's no so question. slightly. Just it's just you're wrong. It's, it's, it's for now. For now, maybe. Oh, okay. There's the there's the twist there. But uh, okay, you know what? I, it's a it's a it's like a, 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 I'm going to look at, a, at Thomas right now in his camera. Thomas, like again. it's it's a pubic hair you know difference it's really just that slight it's um i really love both of those wines but if i if i had to pour a glass tonight let's say it is saunders over lowry by that slim a margin and mine is lowry by not even a slim margin 
Okay, yeah. and I'm going to give you guys some France lore. You know, like we're we can talk about France and Burgundy because we're not adolescent. If we're adolescent, then everything in Niagara and in Prince Edward County has to be the best. No, we're doing great, great things here, but we got to acknowledge the homeland. And here's a funny thing on a very on a very basic way. Uh, when in France you're trying to say we can agree, so let's split it, you say on coupe la poire en deux, we'll, we'll cut the pear in two. Mm -hmm. But but to Michael's point, it is actually a Burgundian uh, expression to talk about pubic hair. And you say, what's the difference? Un poil. So poil is a pubic hair. I mean, a pubic hair, by the way, can be on your arm. It doesn't have to be uh, other places or your underarm. It's hair that comes out of puberty. And on that note, Thomas, thank you very much for tasting all of these wines with us over the past three weeks. It's been a much-needed distraction from the world uh, around us. And hopefully by the time people are listening to this episode, we'll be getting to the point where we're really thinking about opening things up. But we hope you get to enjoy what we thought about these wines. I'm sure all the write-ups will be at andrewinereview.ca and at michaelpincuswinereview.com. And uh, I guess until we get together in, in real life, Thomas, thank you. Well, it's been real fun, and there's been a couple of things here over the three weeks. I look back at the Wilms Old Vine Chardonnay and trying to see how, even with zero new oak, that looked a little hazelnutty, and you guys were like, don't even worry about that. That's a great terroir. And then we Gamay, we've already been over tonight, and now uh, with, the, with the Pinot Noirs, uh, trying to understand these three. Um, anyway, I just want to say good night. And uh, thank you for uh, taking me on this journey. And uh, before we do another one, I hope to see you in the flesh, in the cellar. First off, I'm just very grateful that we were able to talk about all four of those wines without really talking about Burgundy very much. But tasting through that Lowry uh, Old Vines Pinot, it really reminded me of some of the mercury that I've enjoyed over the past couple months. Oh, you're crazy, Andre. I knew that was coming. Um, but no, I, I said in the intro that I'd learned something about this, uh, about Ontario and Pinot and where we kind of stand in the in the world, okay? Because I, I know that Pinot is not a great love of yours, and I'm, I'm guessing that it might have something to do with price point, because to get really good Pinot in Ontario, you are looking at, like, I think gravity from Flat Rock is sort of the, the entry-level benchmark for really premium Pinot, and that comes in at, like, I think 35 or 39 bucks now. It's at, it's at times like this I kind of miss uh, Coyote's Run when they had their, you know, they had an, a, the a red pot, really like good bucks. entry $20 bottle of Pinot. Well, there's a lot of people doing good entry-level Pinot, like Flat Rock and uh, Chateau de Charme. Usually it's, it's quite good. I know we were not hot on the, on the current vintage. Um, but it's really tough to do economically. But the thing is, when we're talking about dollars and cents, um, like the big thing that I learned is, okay, fine, it's tough to get great Ontario Pinot at that $20 range. But when we're talking about 40 to $45, when you put them next to Burgundy, and I'll be perfectly honest, when we're talking about, you know, Old Vines Lowry that tastes like some of the Burgundy that I enjoyed over the past few months, it looks like a bargain. 45 bucks for that? Hell yeah. Like Premier Cru Mercury, you're looking at 55 bucks and up. Uh, you know, I was spending up to $80 a bottle for some of these wines that I was in enjoying. So, you know what? In, in the grand scheme of things, 45 bucks is a lot in the landscape of what's for sale in Ontario. But in the landscape of Pinot, and whether it's Oregon, great Oregon Pinot, 
or great French Pinot, like we're a bargain. We're doing really well. We should be really proud of that. And I, I, I must suspect people know that we we do these little ins and outs uh, after we've recorded the podcast, yep. usually a few days later, so that we have time to digest everything that we heard. Yes. And um, what uh, that evening, I just kept going back and forth between the Lowry and the Saunders, just drinking them through the course of the evening, glass after glass. Uh, I, I did the, I I did the exact well. same thing. I did the exact same thing. And it was, you know, for for Thomas to kind of sell himself short on that Saunders vineyard, uh, I, I hate that he told us it was Young Vines ahead of time. He should have made us guess, like, what the what the shtick was with it. Because on the label, it says two barrels. It doesn't say anything about the age of the vines. No. Uh, that was a really... And a, and a bargain. Like, an absolute bargain. Like, if you're going to buy... Pinot at what was it thirty eight dollars? Yeah, totally. Like that, to me, that was an absolute steal, and I just have a feeling that next year he's going to learn his lesson and bring that one right back up as well. Sure, hope so. Anyways, uh, you know, once again, we appreciate the support on Patreon. Thank you very much for considering that. Uh, we will be working to have Thomas on again uh, a little bit later on because I know we still have to do the actual Burgundy podcast, but I think we need to be face-to-face for that. We'll see how that goes down. Um, I'm Andre Pru from andrewinereview.ca. Go and check out all the notes um, that I wrote about the, the Violet release from Thomas Michelder. And I'm Michael Pincus of michaelpincuswinereview.com. My stuff will be up there at some point in time. Uh, continue to wash your hands, but most of all, good night. Washing your hands is just something you should do all the time, Andre. Yeah, totally. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.